and welcome back, imposters, to the You're Not Qualified podcast. My name is Courtney Heater. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for coming back after the break of last week. Merry Christmas to those that celebrate since we missed last week, but very soon to be Happy New Year. So the next time that we talk, I talk to you, it will be the new year, which is pretty exciting. I did see something online though that made me giggle that I want to read the terms and conditions of 2022 before I agree to go into it. And I feel that deep in my fucking bones. Like, no kidding. We all probably want to do that. What a whirlwind of a couple years. I didn't say I was unwilling. I just need informed consent. On the up and up, on the up and up with all of this cold weather and snow that's unseasonably here but what better time to talk to somebody who is making a sustainable difference in the world who our guest is today her name is angie she also goes by the grateful redhead and she owns a company by the name of tangi it's at wastefreeproducts.com so it's wastefree products store where you can buy uh, items that are safe for the planet good on the conscience, light on the wallet, took that right from their website, but it's an excellent place to re-up your supply of hand soap, laundry soap, conditioner, shampoo, all in bar forms, and she runs it out of her home and has a really amazing website about the impact that you can make as well if you choose to go the waste-free product way. She also has minimal packaging for the shipping And she runs her own podcast, which is called The Grateful Redhead. We will talk about both of these things. And I'm so excited for all of the wisdom that she's just dropping on us. Fun fact, of course, true to this podcast, she didn't study business. She was actually a paralegal. And she got into the world of podcasting and soap making after that, but she has said that she's always been a hippie at heart. So let's go. I can't get too excited. Not even a little excited. <sighs> Welcome, Angie. Thank you so much for being on You're Not Qualified. Oh, thank you, Courtney, for having me. It really is a pleasure. I think I number one, I love the title of your podcast. Thank you. I think we've all heard that probably more than once in our life. I know I have as well. And my journey did not start out where I am today. And I'm not alone. I, I am right now I'm listening to a great audio book called um, Girls That Run the World. And it's a journalist who interviewed like 30 top women CEOs. And I'm halfway through it. And all the women so far did not start out where they are today in these tremendous businesses, they were nowhere near. Oh my gosh. Probably not even like studying business. A lot of them. No, most of them not at all. They just happened to think of something one day and they were like, I think that that, that the world needs it, or that seems like a good solution or why isn't somebody doing that? And I must say, I'm no different. You know, I, like you mentioned, I'm a paralegal turn hippie soap maker, or <laughs> I should say hippie paralegal turn soap maker. <laughs> so always and, hippie. <laughs> yeah, always hippie first. And um, it, it was really, you know, I had skin irritations. I, I'm a natural redhead. My whole life dealt with some skin irritations. And I really felt that they were from store-bought products. So mm-hmm. years ago, I just started tinkering around with cleaning products. Really, it started with the laundry soap. And I would have never, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, where would I be in 10 years? I could have never told you I would be, you know, selling plastic free alternatives to traditional body care and household cleaning products that would have never have crossed my plate at all. What a journey. So why were you a paralegal before? Like what drew you to being a paralegal? (laughs) The honest answer is I hate math and law had the least requirements when I was registering at college. Oh man, Um, I didn't even realize that. I probably would have done that too. (laughs) I just, I decided I would go for a paralegal degree. That was, you know, my, my undergraduate was paralegal law. 
And then when I finished those four years and it was time to take that next step to law school, I was like, I can't do another four years. I can't do more school. I was really done. And so I went on and worked as a paralegal for a long time and worked in that corporate environment. Did you enjoy it? I think I enjoyed the people that I worked with. I didn't so much enjoy the work. I guess I did at the time else I wouldn't have done it for so long, but it wasn't who I was in my soul. It wasn't who I was like in my North star. Do you know what I mean? Like I can even, I can see that we just met. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's like, uh, when you, when something you're passionate about something, or maybe you don't even know it yet. Like, I guess I was more eco-minded than I ever realized at the time. And I was kind of living my life like that not even knowing that the term eco existed or, you know, that, that that's what I was, but I was always a hippie at heart. And so given the opportunity to look at a different path is what really made me realize that that wasn't resonating with who I was. And quite honestly, I believe in life that we are all capable of doing anything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean we should necessarily be doing it. Mm-hmm. So I was given the opportunity I guess around 2010 to really say to myself, is this what I love? Is this where I want to keep going? And a few good conversations with the small business development center and with score.org, which is a nonprofit volunteer organization to help business people make decisions. Double clicking into that real quick, score.org, that's S-C-O-R-E dot O-R-G is the largest network of free volunteer small business mentors in the nation. So that is, if you are in the US, you can go to score.org and request a mentor to help you start, grow, um, or even transition. It looks like your business. You can watch recordings from a virtual summit. You can have business questions answered. They even have a little chat box and it's free volunteer based. If you even want to volunteer, if you seem to have a lot of business knowledge that you want to share with other people, you can also sign up to volunteer, it looks like, at score.org. So such a really cool option for those that would like a little bit of help, but maybe, you know, who has a bunch of money if you're just starting a business? Not many people. I would guess most people don't have a lot of money starting a business. Go to score.org. I realized that I kind of had the start of a business through this little tinkering that I was doing in my garage, making products. Oh man. So that, that opportunity, was that your aha moment? I think the aha moment was when probably that counselor said to me, it looks like you have a business. It's just the nonprofit business. (laughs) Cause I wasn't selling anything. I was like making products for myself. I was giving them to neighbors. I was Mm -hmm. giving them to family. So I was doing something. I just didn't call it a business. I didn't look at it like that. Yeah. You hear that a lot, like on, you know, even Shark Tank or something where it was a family member and they're like, you could sell this. And the person's like, I didn't even think about that. Right. These are the (laughs) best cookies I've ever tasted. It's like, you should be selling that or some recipe. Yeah. I mean, yeah comes out of the strangest of places. And I think there is those moments where you're like, maybe I could do something different, but it's a leap of faith. Being Mm -hmm. in business for yourself is hard. It's long hours. It's money. And, you know, I mean, you've got to have people supporting you to make the journey better, or it's not, it's going to be very difficult and probably not successful. I think there's a crazy stat that 90% of all businesses go out of business in the first three years or five years or something. Yeah. It's really high. Yeah. It's like every IPO now is a unicorn basically. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So then the waste-free products was what the business was that came out of the tinkering in your garage. Yeah. I actually started out as I named my business Tangie, which is a combination of my name, Angie, and my dad's name is Terry, but Mm -hmm. he's no longer with us, unfortunately on this planet, at least. Um, so when it came time to trade, I knew that I wanted to grow the business into something bigger than myself. So I wanted to trademark the name so I wouldn't have any issues down the road. Mm -hmm. So I just came up with the name Tangie, trademarked it, started doing business as Tangie 
when I went to go buy the website, because I didn't start selling online first. And the reason for that was I was actually filling um, old glass wine bottles with my laundry soap and products and, you know, trying to reuse everything that came across my path and refill it and sell it. So I was like, how am I possibly going to ship a gallon of anything affordably? So I didn't even start with a website. So when it came time to build that website, I tried to buy the name tangy.com and it was $25,000. And I'm like, what the heck? Whoa. And I realized that's when I learned that Tangy is an award-winning strain of marijuana and somebody had bought it. Oh, damn. So when you actually Googled Tangy, it was nothing but like weed up on the, on the screen and Google. Yeah. So, You're like, well, um, that's not my business. So. <laughs> I can only imagine how disappointed a lot of people would be when they came to my website yeah. and found it was just cleaning products. Long bottom leaf. The finest pipeweed in the cell farthing. So um, I actually bought ilovetangy.com, which I'm sure, again, was a big disappointment to a lot of stoners when they went there. But, <laughs> um, yeah. So a handful of years ago, I really started to transition away from plastic packaging. Mm-hmm. I, I realized that just because I was using natural ingredients, that that wasn't the solution. Even though it was a better option than using chemical cleaners or chemical ingredients, if I was still pushing a packaging out there that was going to live well beyond me and probably well beyond the next two generations, I was still part of the problem is how I started to look at it. Mm-hmm. So I spent a couple of years really turning liquid into a paste. I decided that I wanted to sell my products with, I wanted to sell liquid products without a bottle. And when I first said that out loud to myself, I didn't know how I was going to do it. And quite honestly, it was that moment of, do I stay in business or can I solve this problem? And I spent a few years reformulating those liquids into a product. Um, You know what? I have one right here. Oh yeah. I was like, I want to see. So this right here is my laundry concentrate. And this dissolves to make one gallon of liquid laundry soap. Oh, so Angie, this little that's bar, genius. This little bar that's no bigger than a deck of cards. You put it in a gallon of water, gallon of liquid laundry soap. So you can choose your own container. You can keep refilling it. You can even cut the bar in half and just make 64 ounces, cut that half in half, make 32 ounces, and store the rest of it. Yeah. yeah. And so it really provided the user with their best way to store it, their best way for, a, you know, to use a container, what weight maybe was best for them to handle in their laundry room. Like I felt like it provided the consumer mm-hmm. with their ability to make better decisions with how they were going to use it. Yeah. So we've had plenty of people that travel with it. They can make a little bit, you know, they use it in their motor home, they fly oh, with yeah. it. It's not an issue. So I did the same thing with liquid hand soap. I have hand soap that's the same as this bar. It's just a little different ingredient and you can dissolve it to make a gallon of liquid hand soap and keep real filling those great pumpers and foamers that you buy at the store. They're meant to be reused. Hundreds oh, yeah. I mean, that plastic is indestructible as yeah. we found. Lasts yeah. a long time. That's a very, so that's time. really where the transition came. I was like, okay, here I am with like a new set of products. It was really getting away from that first line of products that I started. And the more I started thinking about, it, I was like, okay, and nobody knows what a tangy is. <laughs> nobody except for me. Mm-hmm. So I started thinking, what could I call my business that people would recognize it? And I, and it was like, oh, well, I am a waste-free product that can't be available, right? That there's no way that waste-free products was not already taken. So I went online and I looked and it wasn't, and I scooped it up that day. Oh, so that's not a marijuana strain, just that so everybody knows. To the best of my knowledge, now, if anybody is listening and they know it's a marijuana strain, <laughs> please reach out to me. Maybe we could like do some business together. Yeah. But, um, no, it is not to the best of my knowledge. Out of curiosity, because it can't be quenched, I just Googled laundry soap marijuana because I was like, well, waste-free marijuana probably isn't anything. You can Google that after though. But laundry soap marijuana brought up a gaggle of articles about how to get rid of weed smell on your clothing. 
And then other articles, weed went through the laundry. My weed tastes like laundry soap, which is apparently a thing where it can be laced with laundry soap to make it way more. So watch out for that if you're buying some ditch weed like I used to do in Kansas and smoking that. But if you're at a place where you can get it sold in a shop recreationally, you won't have to worry about that. So I probably would recommend that if you have access to it, just to make sure you can avoid that. But what a wild world we're in. But if you need to know how to get rid of the smell of weed, anybody that's still listening and living at home with your parents, nudge, nudge, then um, you know where to find it. Okay. So much cheaper shipping also. Oh, totally. Like that's so approachable to so many people. And I just love the storage capacity of it. I have like a lot of need for that actually to soap in my bathroom right now. I'm like at the very last bit of the liquid pump and I'm like, I don't want to go buy another one and another one, another one. So that's genius. Well, you know, it's all about who, you know, Courtney. So I'll be happy to hook you up. (laughs) I feel like we had this interview at just the right time. (laughs) Even if it's as simple as like a soap dispenser, the universe speaks in interesting ways. Speaks you know, volumes. Yes. It really does. It really does. So then after waste-free products, formerly known as Tangi, yes. Grateful Redhead is your podcast. And I feel like it's kind of just a, maybe just what you call yourself to friends. Maybe you've had that nickname for a long time. So I'd Actually, love to know more about that. Okay. Being a redhead and being a super Grateful Dead fan, mm-hmm. I've been to so many shows. I love the band so much that when it came time to, to do my podcast, I have this really great image of myself that was taken when I was at a Grateful Dead show in San Francisco. I've always loved the picture. So when my designer was saying to me, okay, we need to make like an image for your podcast. I'm like, I know the exact image. I was going to ask, is that the picture? Yeah, that's the picture on my podcast. And I was like, it's going to be the Grateful Redhead. Like there's just no way around it. And so we just went with it. Angie will talk more about this as well. And also I realized I didn't say her last name. So Angie Wrangler, she will talk more about her podcast as we go on, but I did want to do a quick plug. The Grateful Redhead is just about anywhere that you would want to listen to podcasts. She has it up. She has 22 episodes as of this recording, and there are so many cool conversations she has here. So she talks to an organic worm farmer. She has a yogi on. She talks about cloth diapers and going off the grid. So she talks to people that are living really interesting, sustainable ways. And even their whole life might be interesting and sustainable. Highly recommend you check it out. That is The Grateful Redhead. We didn't it wasn't another thought for me. I was like, it just fits me perfectly. Yes, I'm a Grateful Dead fan and that has a lot to do with it. But honestly, I'm so grateful in my life for so much that I do constantly thank the universe for things. I I speak out loud my gratitude a lot. I give thanks a lot. So it fits on a lot of levels, fortunately. So I am sad to say I'm not a huge Grateful Dead fan, but if you... If you have, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are, there's tons of people that are, there's like many generations now of fans. Yeah. Yeah. The Grateful Dead lives on forever. They are not dead indeed, but they are undead. How (laughs) would you, what what song or album do you most relate with? What do you think is kind of like the soundtrack to your life these days? Uh, Probably Ripple. Okay. So Ripple is an amazing tune, amazing Jerry Garcia tune. I don't think he wrote it, but he sings it and it's fantastic. And I would probably say, you know, that is what would, would be my first song. And then the second song would definitely be Terrapin Station. It's just an amazing story. So it's like a visual that you can like almost like a Broadway show. You can like see it in your mind. You oh, can, wow. it, it's just amazing. It's just cool. So Terrapin Station and Ripple, my two faves. What do you recommend for somebody that's easing into the Grateful Dead? Um, I would probably say ripple first. Cause it's okay. just a good tune, right? That's very easy. But, um, also one of my favorite fun tunes by the dead is it's called the women are smarter. So, you know, we can relate to that. I like that. Yes. You might get a kick out of that song. It says, 
that's right. The women are smarter. That's right. The women are smarter. <laughs> I'm just gonna... I'm not a good singer. I'm sorry. I just did that, but you oh, get yeah. the gist of it. Yeah. I, I feel like I won't be able to afford the copyright, but I would put that in there if yes. I could. Well, I'll True. look, <laughs> I'll take a look, but probably not. Probably not. I don't think we can afford anything they do. Probably. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> so on the podcast, the grateful redhead, you speak to people about basically their eco warrior lifestyles. Is that right? I like to really just talk to people who are doing something good, whether it be for themselves or for other people. And somehow it seems to always connect back to being eco in some way. Mm -hmm. It is important to me that, you know, we are sharing stories about how we are finding ways in our life to reduce waste or be kind or, you know, look after the animals and, and the, the planet and our soil and all of those things that are important to all of us for survival. So I find that it, I guess it's almost natural for those people who are doing kind things. They, they kind of always branch there. There's always some little branch that connects them to being kind to the planet, which is really cool. Yeah. I've actually found that too, because this podcast was not geared towards just environmentalism. I'm personally very interested and active in environmentalism, but so maybe that's also kind of like a natural progression that I'm making happen though. There's so much to be done in the environmental sphere. And there is, I feel like any problem you could present, it eventually ties back to like global warming and it doesn't matter if the planet isn't here anymore. So it's like, that is the biggest problem in my, in my humble opinion, and probably even as a fact. Listening to the back, it kind of sounds like I was saying, it doesn't matter if the planet isn't here anymore. Like, ah, like bygones speak bygones, water under the bridge, we're killing it, let it, let it die. That's definitely not. The, the tone that I meant to have with that, what I meant was that anything else that we are caring about, which I think about that so damn often, anything else we care about, truly the one thing that should come before is the planet. Like we should care about all of these things and it really matters if the planet is still here for those things to matter. Like everything ties back to, we need this planet to live on. We absolutely need to take care of it. There's just, there's no other way around it. Like we need this planet to live on. So we have to have that in the forefront of policies. We need to help the planet sustain life, AKA all of the animals, but also us. And talked about this before, but these animals are going to be fine without us if we leave, right? There's so many different counts of populations of fish that people thought were endangered and then completely extinct. They thought they were extinct are rebounding after you just leave the river alone. They're like, where do these fish come from? We thought they were extinct. And there they are. But it's just everything will be fine, but we want also humans to be fine, right? So we have to care about the planet. We have to. Okay, off my soapbox for now. You're saved only for now. And you know, I've often thought of right that my second book would be called Save Your Ass, The Planet Doesn't Care or something like that, that I came up with. Because really the planet is, the planet's gonna be fine. It's us that aren't gonna be here anymore, right? I mean, it will recover, it will heal, it will do all those things that that time will allow it to do. So it's really about not saving the planet, it's about saving your ass. Absolutely. Even if we look from a a very um, selfish point of view, it does work out for ourselves and the planet. That's what's so good about it. That if you decide, oh, well, maybe I do, you know, wanna have clean water and good air and food to eat that maybe I should be looking after those other things. I hadn't really thought of it that way. Even if you're being <laughs> selfish, it has to incorporate better in the world too. Yeah. That's what I figured. That's why yeah. I was like, Ooh, that might be a good, yeah. That might be a good title for my next book. Well, I guess I tricked you a little bit there, huh? You weren't, you weren't done with the ramble because Angie had it too, but damn it. It matters so much. That's all I got to say. It matters. Take care of the planet to take care of your own ass, truly. What was your first book? 
It's called Going Plastic Free Room by Room. Okay. And it's really just a culmination of my journey along this lower waste lifestyle. And what I've learned, you know, the Pinterest version of it and the real life version of when things work, when things don't DIY things that I do companies that I like to support that are making a difference. And I really put it in a format of looking at each room separately. So that's the whole, that's the title, right? Going plastic free room by room, because Mm. for me, that's was a little bit of my approach. It made it a little bit easier to kind of take one little chunk at a time, one room at a time and say, how can I maybe make this a little bit better? And I start out really with a lot of the reason behind why we should eliminate plastic, why it's important for not only the planet, it's really about our health and our wallet that comes first. You know, if plastic and those chemicals are affecting my health, ultimately leading to me paying more money for healthcare or my tax dollars subsidizing the wrong things, then I need to take a look at that. But for me, I needed to know why these changes were important. So my book starts off with the whys, why we should do it, what the bad things are that are happening from it. And then I just go into room by room, share my stories and my journey about what I learned. And then the the end wraps up with a little checklist. And I hope that other people, when they read it, they can also go down and make a few changes that they can not only feel proud of, but that will also become new habits because it's about making those changes stick for the long term. Exactly. I love that holistic approach where you do present the why, because it's, it's not directive. Like you're not saying you should do this because it's the right thing to do. You're saying you should do this because it serves you in this way and it serves the planet in this way. And then the chunks is really interesting. I was actually just thinking about like cleaning the house and how it is easier room by room Mm -hmm. because it's not overwhelming. So it's like a really similar concept. And you can get a free download if you would like on my website, quick plug. (laughs) Okay. Well, awesome. We can definitely, I'll plug at the end too, but what is your website like up top too? The website is wastefreeproducts.com. You can also go to wastefree pledge and there's a direct link to the book. You don't even have to like search it on the website. So you can go to wastefreepledge.com. And it'll take you right to the book and you can get a download. And it is over a hundred pages, which is why I haven't put it in print form. I'm kind of torn, you know, do I do Mm -hmm. print, which seems a little wasteful, but I see, I love printed books. So I kind of see the value in that. But for right now, I'm giving it away as a free download, just to encourage people to look at some of the possibilities and look at maybe does something resonate with you? Are you having maybe some health issues or some skin irritations or something like that? And maybe something you'll read in the book could help. And that would be amazing. Yeah. And then pass it on to a friend. Yes, definitely. definitely. <laughs> Talk about it. Tell all your friends. <laughs> Tell everybody. Yeah. And even if you do put it in paper, like that's an awesome way to just share it with a friend after you're done or give it to yeah. a library, something. Yep. Yeah. I do share a lot of books. And uh, somebody gave me some good insight this past year. I've started reading more than I probably have read in my whole life in this past two years, but somebody gave me a good tip to write the one big thing that you learned in that book and write it in the back page of the book. So if you ever pick up the book again, or it's on your shelf and you're like, I I remember that book, that was pretty good, but what, what did I really take out of that? there's that one thing that you took out of the book and you could just refer back to, which I thought was a really cool idea. I started doing that in my books. That is an awesome idea. I live in Seattle. It's probably all over the country actually, but those little free libraries, are you familiar? Yeah. I'm actually looking to start one in my own community, which is harder to do than I thought it would be. I thought like so many people would be on board and, but we live in a homeowners association and there's a couple hoops I got to jump through and Hasn't happened yet, but I love the idea of those little free libraries. I downloaded some schematics to have one made because the guy down the street is amazing with woodworking. Oh, I thought he's always collecting scrap wood around the area. And I'm like, that would be perfect. Yeah. Make it from reclaimed wood. And I didn't know you could make your own. I, for some reason, I thought you like sign up on a website and they like drive it to you or something or ship it. You can buy them directly from, I think that's kind of the brand name is, um, the, Little free library, little free library. Yeah. But there are downloadable schematics and stuff on the web. 
and oh. you can just download them and then you can buy, I'm pretty sure you can still buy the little plaques from, so it'll say a little free library and stuff. And then some money does get donated to them because pretty sure they also run some projects if I remember correctly. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. There's a, a person down the street for me that uses it for, he calls it little free peep shows and he does peeps, the candy, like marshmallow candy in yep. like all throughout the season. So right now there's like a Charlie Brown Christmas just made out of peeps, <laughs> and, but it's like in a little free library house. And I was like, I wonder if this is like a copyright infringement for a little free library, but I'm it's sure so fun. That is so creative. Do you know who, you know, who does it or is it like secretive? Um, he has an Instagram that is called little free peep show. Okay. So he might have an identity. I've seen him. It's in like, not even in a creepy way. Cause this could come off weird, but like watching from the window as people walk by and look at it and like, you could like wave, but that's the only interaction I've ever had with him. That's funny. <laughs> I've never heard of it, but I'm definitely going to go check it out. I'm curious enough really to go cute. check out little, cause it sounds pretty naughty when you said it, I was yeah. like, mm, that seems pretty dirty, but I get it now. He has a big, like neon blue sign that says live chicks. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. I'm like, oh dear, he's really taking it, but it's yeah, really well, cute. Well, they say sex sells. So I think he's on to really, something. Really. Look, if it causes more people to read, more power to him. I am so sexually threatened right now. Yeah. And it gets people to stop and not look at their phone for a moment and mm, like interact hard. with something else. Yeah. That's good. Definitely. I know that you had a, a podcast episode about that recently too. Yes. Putting down yes. the phone. Jeff Wozner was his name. And he had these suggestions at the end of the episode. And I actually still use one of his tips today. And it's totally transformed the way I use my phone in the evening. So he told me to put the phone on grayscale. I didn't even know what that meant. Mm -hmm. And he's like, it's a setting in the back end of your phone. So you, you, it'll take all the color out of your phone. So none of the apps or anything, nothing will have color. It'll look just black and white. So I tried it that night after I recorded that episode. And sure enough, I can have it go off at a certain time. I have it go off at eight o'clock at night and the grayscale doesn't go away until um, eight the next morning. So pretty much, even though I can't look, it's right here, right? It's never too far. Yeah. Even when I at night don't want to be on my phone, but sometimes it's a habit and I'll pick it up and look. And sure enough, it's all in black and white. And I'm uninterested, maybe for like a minute or less, I might look at it, but I'm like, oh, it just, it's not appealing. I didn't realize. And that's what he shared in that episode was the colors is what attracts us. It's the colors that also are making us have that like um, endorphin kind of rush about things. So it totally has transformed my usage at night. Okay. I'm going to do that. Because it's really hard. And then waking up in the morning too. I know he covered that and like just grabbing your phone. I've that's, it's so hard not to do that. So I haven't found a trick for that. Okay. Baby steps. Right. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to what I said, that if we can find a habit that actually lasts, that's that works and we can know, make it a habit that, you know, will work for our life. And I found that this one works for my life. Okay. Wow. Everybody out there, give it a shot. Grayscale. Go grayscale. Woo! Go grayscale. <laughs> uh, that's such a good idea. I didn't even know that actually existed, the feature. So that's cool. I didn't either. Yeah. That's why I love the podcasting, you know, that we can just, I don't know how I would have found that out had I have not invited Jeff on the show. And randomly I saw him in an article on Tree Hugger, like for eco comedians. Oh, and, and I, and I love that idea. I was like, oh, people who make fun of the earth or, you know, but they're, they're very clever individuals. And I have since, in, I just interviewed my third comedian from that article because I loved what they were doing. I interviewed Christina Wong today. She was another comedian. Oh from that Oh my article. gosh. Yeah. That's amazing. How fun. Yeah. When- it was it was really good. Do you know when that episode's going to air by chance? I don't, but they usually come out several weeks after I record, mm-hmm. you know, giving us editing. To, not that we really edit much. It's just a very free form conversation, yep. but, um, but I try to put out like one episode every two weeks. So they're kind of staggering off a little bit. Okay. Good to know. I'm excited about that one. I really yeah, enjoyed it. was a good guest too. She's done a lot of again, branching off from where she started as this performance artist and a comedian. And 
she's, you know, an elective representative in, you know, Koreatown. And she turns out she started this little, I call little, that was under us, that was understating it, but where they sew, she got people together to sew free masks and give them out to all oh, sorts wow. of, I think they, they sewed for like 19 months or something. And it just, she was so interesting to talk to. And here, all I was looking at her was from the perspective of this eco comedian. And like most of us, we are so much more than what one person knows about you. Absolutely. And we're so much more than a box that we were put in because of what we went to college for. Exactly. Like Good it's, point. yeah, it's just, it's amazing the capabilities that people have. Yeah. And that's an amazing segue into more about the history of your life. And you briefly mentioned in the beginning, we've all been told we're unqualified. And I'd love to know throughout your journey, if you can remember any instances where you were told that and how you overcame it and when it happened. So I do remember one that comes to my mind right away. I wanted to be a um, college recruiter, which is just a person who gets people at finding out if that college is right for them. Not like I was out on the street, like recruiting people for college, but when they would come in to be able to give them advice about this college, were their classes available and stuff like that. And the lady was like, you're not qualified for this position. And I'm like, but what makes people qualified? Oh, you want a master's degree. Then you're right. I am not qualified, but it seems to me that if you've spent any time in college, you have a rough idea what might be beneficial. So I found it interesting that even though I had a bachelor's degree and I had worked in, I worked a few years in law, it was like, she just flat out. Now, whether she said you're not qualified, I, I don't recall, but that was pretty much the gist of it, that you're not qualified for this job. Yeah. And you had so much life experience because you were a college student and you were probably, yeah. you probably talked to recruiters, at least a counselor. Exactly. Every year we talk to some form of a counselor, which is really no different than somebody who's trying to find school for that student. Yeah. That's so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. And then I would say the other job that comes to my mind that I said, I am not qualified for (laughs) was in my late teens when um, a friend of mine's family opened up a restaurant and the parents were like recruiting all of her friends for like probably cheap labor. And I spent one day as a waitress and I realized I couldn't hack it. Like I, and it was breakfast. It was a breakfast diner. Mm -hmm. And I have always felt since that day, I shit you not since that day, I have always said it's important to over tip your breakfast waitresses because they are putting up with the worst people. Mm -hmm. It's morning. Sometimes people are just getting out of the club. They're spent all night drinking or whatever. Like they, they're not (laughs) getting the best of people and they put up with the crappiest stuff for the cheapest meals of the day. And to me, that's a rule that I live by since that day, actually. Yeah. I, I love that. That was my very first job. I was a waitress at a cafe that did primarily breakfast in a really small town in Kansas. So our primary clientele were farmers that didn't tip. Oh man. They would drink like the coffee was bottomless. So they would drink so much coffee that you have to refill and they don't tip. Okay. So we absolutely all start somewhere. Mine was a tiny little cafe in Marquette, Kansas that was run by a British woman who was actually awesome. Now I really admire her, but at the moment she had a bit of a temper when I was working for her. And one thing that the job really taught me was how to do a job well. I say that because I once left from my shift to a day off. The next day was my day off. And lo and behold, I didn't mop the floor right. And who was to call me to let me know I didn't mop the floor right and demand I come back in to mop the floor right, but my boss. So she calls, she's like, look, you gotta do this right. I'm gonna have to have you come back in and do it now. It's like, you know, the ass crack of dawn because it's a cafe in the middle of a farming town and the farmers get up really early 
So I did. I went and I mopped the floor correctly. And now, you know what? I obviously have not forgotten it. And I'm 33 years old. And I was 15, something like that, 14. So they really do. They treat you, they treat you sometimes shitty because you're cheap labor. But you learn a lot in the process. You really do. A lot about yourself. And, you know, it builds strong character. You know, put some, put some hair on my chest. Oh, yeah. that's so frustrating. And now that we know more, yeah. that we're connected to all sorts of information and we realize that most people in that industry are living off of the tips. So absolutely, you know, it's only right for us to support them in the best way. Yeah. So over tipping is how I do it. <laughs> Good. Me too. I'm like the 25 percenter. Yeah. Usually. At yeah. least. At least, especially traveling in uh, like the Midwest and the South, a lot of them, their hourly wage is like $2.17 or something insane. So it's very much so living off of the tips, as you said, they have so the rest of the taxes. Share, let me share an interesting, I, I'm probably not going to get the story right, but this just happened. I just learned this uh, a couple of weeks ago when uh, a friend of mine opened up a nail salon. So I wanted to go to her and support her and I got a, a manicure. So at the end I said to her, well, let me, I, gave her my card to, you know, pay for the services. And then I said to her, can I pay you your tip in cash? And she's like, I don't accept tips. I'm like, why not? Like, that's the weirdest thing. She goes, well, you know, tipping goes back to the days of slavery. And I'm like, oh, I had no idea. And she proceeded to tell me this history of tipping to where it was like, there is something that relates tipping back to the days of slavery and how it was up to the people to do an excellent job to get the full pay of what they actually deserved for the job. And that's where tipping came from. Just to make sure we got this right, I did tell Angie that I was going to Google this afterwards and put in what I found just to confirm the history of tipping, as she's saying. And from politico.com, that's P-O-L-I-T-I-C-O, I did find a little bit of a history here, so I'm just going to read it verbatim again, saying it's from politico.com. So you might not think of tipping as a legacy of slavery, but it is a far more racialized history than most Americans realized. Tipping originated in feudal Europe and was imported back to the United States by American travelers eager to seem sophisticated. And then the practice spread throughout the country after the Civil War as U.S. employers, largely in the hospitality sector, which tipping is still largely in, that was my words, looked for ways to avoid paying formerly enslaved workers. And... One of the most notorious examples comes from the Pullman Company. They hired newly freed African-American men as porters. And then rather than paying them a real wage, they provided the black porters with just a meager pittance, which forced them to rely on the tips for their white clientele, from their white clientele for most of their pay. So tipping further entrenched a unique and often racialized class structure in service jobs. And that is where I believe this woman that Angie is talking about gets that. And I had absolutely no clue. I encourage you to go and look more up about it, which I'm going to do, um, because it's fascinating and a piece of history that we should definitely not forget, but also maybe a reason to pay people living wages, perhaps? And she even had this little sign, which I didn't see. It was even right next to me while I had the manicure, but it was a little sign in a frame that said, I do not accept tips. My job is to make you feel good or something like that, whatever it said. But I had, I never knew that. Wow. And I, I really respected her for saying that. Like she's charging the value right up front and not expecting a tip. Mm -hmm. So imagine if we really paid all those people who do those industries that rely on tips, if we just paid them the value of that job and not made them rely on it. Yeah, there, there are a lot of restaurants too that will, in their menu, say we're adding the 20% gratuity automatically. So yes. do not tip extra. But that's also 
that's like cutting you off in terms of you can only give 20%. It's already included. You have to give, but I can't give more. So I, I have qualms about that too, but the, that, that makes me think a little bit differently about it. And I'll add, and I'll add more information on that, but I had yeah. no idea either. Yeah, it was my first two, but, uh, but again, it's a great, you know, these are the things that come when we talk to people, mm-hmm. right? Just conversations of sharing stuff that we know, because we all know so much, so much useless information. Mm. That's what I used to say. We all know so much that why should we keep it inside? Let's just have conversations and share it. Oh yeah. Like that's too much useless information, honestly. Like I have (laughs) like the whole, uh, like historical information about all the bachelor contestants in my head. Welcome to the end of the world. Very specifically, I was listening to an episode in April from your podcast and you covered the recommendation that you would give to people who want to start an eco business. So much like you did and some of who you talked to on your podcast. So I do know that your recommendation is you have to have the passion for it. But since it's been a few months, very curious if you have more to build on that. And I want to know and let the listeners know what to do if the passion fails you. Like, what do you do? How do you pick yourself up? Well, I guess if the passion fails you, then maybe you don't have enough passion to keep pulling it forward. Mm -hmm. So then you have to address, right? Is this what I'm really passionate about? Or did I learn somewhere that this could be a good job? Or did I learn somewhere that this would be a good avenue or product or service or something? And I wanted to jump on that train. So maybe that's a moment to, you know, reflect on why you feel you got that passion. In that episode, though, it was about making sure that you cover those bases and passion is the first one. And to follow up on those things that are just as important to me is you've got to have all your bail money in order, right? That's one of the first things that I learned. I don't know if I shared that in that episode, but the one of the first things that I learned when I was in law school, uh, paralegal school was you have to get your bail money in order whenever you're doing anything. And the bail is B-A-I-L. So it's your banker, your accountant, your insurance person, and your lawyer. You're going to need all four of those people when you go into business. So you Mm -hmm. might as well know them ahead of time when things are good, instead of having your back up against the wall and trying to find one that you can work well with or that resonates with you or that you get along with when shit has gone bad. What they taught us was to interview three people. So pick three bankers, interview them because the first one you talk to, you're not going to have any idea what to ask them because mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're going in blind on a subject you don't know about. By the second interview, you've got some ideas of questions. By the third, you're probably leading that conversation because now you know what you need. And that goes into line for the banker, the accountant, insurance, and lawyer, because when you really need those people, you're going to need them when shit is bad. That's all I can say. So it's good to line them up first. Is it as simple as Googling like local lawyers? So when you're looking at a lawyer, I always tell people, call the bar association in your state. So for us, it's the Florida Bar Association. Call them, get a recommendation for the type of lawyer that you need. Tell them what your problem is and they can tell you what kind of lawyer you need. I want you to be my lawyer. I'm a good enough lawyer to know you need a better lawyer than me. But when they refer somebody, they're at least going to refer you to a lawyer that's in good standing, right? That his, Mm -hmm. all of his stuff is in order, that his license is good and he still holds a, a valid law license and... They used to, I don't know if they still do, but you also used to get a discount. I think it was up to 25% off if you were referred through the bar association. I don't know if all states do that, but seems couldn't hurt to try to get that discount and get that referral directly from where they have to be accountable. Yeah, that's definitely a good tidbit. And then which one of those is the most important to get right? Uh, Out of the bail money? Uh Uh-huh. Definitely my accountant. (laughs) (laughs) Need to know what's happening with the money. Needs to know what's happening with the money. Cause you know, look, we can say it's not all about the money that it's about the passion or saving the planet or the animals or kindness to people or whatever. But honestly, money makes the world go round. 
And when you've got enough money to keep growing your business, then when you become more profitable, we have more money to give to those organizations that we want to support. We have money to be able to fund these things that we feel are important for us that usually are able to prop up other people. So it does take money. And if you're not knowing what the cash flow is, or you don't have somebody helping you stay in line with the rules and the laws, then eventually it's going to come back to bite you. Absolutely. For waste-free products, do you have employees or is it just you? I have um, contractors. I don't really have any employees on my books. I do use contractors. I would love to be able to have some employees, but it just, I'm not quite at that growth stage yet to be able to take somebody on and offer them really the, the benefits that they deserve, health insurance, I do usually do paid time off, even with my contractors, I'll still pay them for generous time off that we have. And I love to do yearly bonuses and education. I always tell them, look, if you find something that would benefit you in order to perform better in your duties, let me know about a webinar. Let me know about a class and I'll pay for it. Yeah. And the reason you can do that is because you have a great accountant. That's right. I got a better bookkeeper now. I got a good accountant and I got a really good bookkeeper too. She keeps me on track every month. And then my accountant makes sure we're both firmed up at the end of the year. So is the, the goal to have a, you have a brick and mortar already, or do you not? I do not. I do not. I did start out with a store when I first started Tangi, me and a friend of mine, Tiffany, were running a store called the Karma Farm store. And it was, it was a brick and mortar. It was the fun time that we had. We sold all sorts of eco-friendly items that replaced daily living. So it was like that replaced daily living items. I should say not replaced daily living, but they were like bamboo sheets, electric bikes, composters, things that typically were recycled plastic toothbrushes, dolls that were made from recycled, you know, materials and just things that were more eco-minded, but yet people use them regularly. That's awesome. Yeah. We had a good time doing that. Yeah. That's such a cute name. Thanks. (laughs) So what else do you want people to know about you? Wow. Or what I, or what advice you have even. So I would say, depending on the advice, so if it's coming from the business side of me, right. The advice (laughs) is that when you're starting out in your business, make sure that you take your future expenses into account. So the example for that, that I can share with you is that when I first started, I was making all these products with my own two hands in my little laboratory in the garage that we set up. And I never took into account then what the actual cost would be for me to pay somebody to do the shipping, pay for me to warehouse things, actually having liability insurance to have my product in a chain store. Like those are, if you're, if your plans are to grow your business bigger than a hobby, those are things you have to take into consideration early on. And I know that people told me that and I didn't heed that advice. And I wish that I did because it's harder to start working in those costs later on when your customers are already accustomed to paying obviously that lower price because I didn't work those fees in. Yeah. So coming from a personal perspective, I like to really share three tips for people to make that move into going more low waste without costing any money. And I always will say buy bars over bottles, any chance you get buy a bar product instead of something that comes in a bottle when given the opportunity, that could be shampoo. That could be great laundry concentrate. It can be a number of things that are now made in bars. Even lotion is made in bars now, as opposed to a very traditional big pump bottle. The second thing is to grow something, just grow anything. It it doesn't have to be not like a farm or a farmer. For me, I've got, we're fortunate to have a yard and I like to try different seeds and grow some lettuce and herbs, things that are easy for me to grow. And then I can benefit from them. It connects us to where our food comes from. And one time somebody said to me, well, I live in a city, you know what? I can't grow anything. And I was like, you probably have a tree outside that grows out of the concrete. A lot of cities set up these trees Mm -hmm. on the sidewalks. I'm like, shove a little tomato seed in there. And next time you buy one from the store, just shove it in there. And every time you walk by it, see what's growing. Like 
<laughs> it just gives us that little bit of connection to the earth and to where our food comes from that I don't think we can get from any, it doesn't matter how many videos you watch or how many books you read about it until you actually see something growing. And the minute you can pull something off of a vine that you grew and you ate it, it's transformative, not only delicious, but it really changes your perspective of how much farmers work to supply our whole world with food. And then my third tip is read your labels. Mm. Be amazed on how much bad ingredients, how much bad chemicals are being used in, whether it be our food or whether it be our cleaning products or our makeup or any number of things, but start with food because those have the most labels that we can read. And when you start to read your food labels and you see words that you don't understand and you start to go on the internet and look at what they are, you can then decide what your own standard is. And do you want that in your life? Do you don't want and that? And your body. Life? Yeah. It's up to you, right? Because whatever you bring inside or around your body, it's going in. We're like big sponges. So I feel like if people start with food labels, it's really easy because there's a lot of food labels. And that just naturally will make you curious to start looking at well, what's in that cleaning product that I keep spraying on my counter and just wiping off. What's in the cream that I'm putting on my baby's butt? Like, what are those things that we're putting in and around our body and start making those decisions for yourself. And those don't cost you anything. Exactly. Yeah. And the food, the farming, you can share your harvest with other people. And that's such a cool feeling. Yeah. Really cool. Really it's cool. so cool. I thought the advice of just randomly planting a tomato plant in a tree well was so damn cute. And I, if anybody does that, please let me know. But I also wanted to plug that if you live in a city and you do not have a yard or you have a very small yard and you don't think that it's going to be bountiful enough for a garden, there are garden plots that you can rent in a lot of cities. Granted, in a city like Seattle, where there's a lot of people that are very interested in urban farming, like I have neighbor chickens, uh, well, a few streets away, but I love them and I visit them. Neighbor ducks, too. Visit them, too. They're so cute. But they have these plots that are, as I was saying, in Seattle, sometimes not available right away. There is a wait list for those, I think for a few seasons at least. But put yourself on the wait list plant a tomato plant in a tree well next to your house in the interim. Ask a neighbor to use a bit of their yard for your garden and then share the harvest with them. There's lots of different ways that you can get started that don't cost really anything, but you can just dive in. Where can people find you in all of your mediums? So definitely on social at waste free products are all of our social handles on Instagram, YouTube, and wastefreeproducts.com for all of our line of products, which is a huge array of cleaning products and body products, mm -hmm. all natural, no plastic, mostly refillable and reusable and the waste free pledge or wastefreepledge.com to get the download of the book is really what I encourage to do. And encourage people to at least start with that and see what they might learn from there. It okay. is a lot of my love of my journey and what I learned along the way put into words. Awesome. I, I will absolutely look that up. The packaging you use then when you ship out your items, what do you use like wax paper or? Uh, no, everything is either cardboard or aluminum. So we do like a hair and body oil that's an aluminum bottle with an aluminum cap. I learned a while back that the two most incentivized packaging, and I say incentivized, meaning that recyclers are incentivized to make sure that goes somewhere properly mm. to, bet, to get recycled and get reused is cardboard and aluminum. So I try mm. to stick to that in my packaging, thinking that it has the most hope of getting put somewhere properly and having it properly disposed of. And really cardboard can be reused in our gardens, it can mm. be composted in a backyard or in a commercial composter if people are doing that. So cardboard is definitely an easy product mm -hmm. to get rid of. But take the even, tape off. Take the tape off. And yeah. The, yes. Yeah. Even if there's print on it? Even if there's print on it. And we do use the boxes are printed, but they're printed with a soy ink. Okay. So yes, even if they're printed, they can be put into compost and stuff. That's awesome to know. I feel bad about the boxes when they come, like for really any delivery, and it's 
I don't really know what to do with this. I don't garden after your conversation. I think I will in the spring now, <laughs> but like at least give it a shot. I'm just, it's one of those that I don't want to mess it up because I've never really done it before without parents supervision. I did when I was a kid, but I should just take my own advice and do You'll it even though I'm not. Fails. Yeah. Gardening is all about the fails and going right back to it. And there is that saying, right? Fail a lot because you just learn every time, right? You just keep learning. You get back up, you fail, you get back up. You've learned from that and you'll do better the next time. Yeah. And you might know other people who do a lot of gardening or have yards, but that cardboard can be laid out and it's actually better weed barrier than that weed barrier stuff that a lot of people put down before they put mulch and stuff. The cardboard's got something like a more acid or something in it when it starts to break down and it actually keeps more of the um, weeds at bay and stuff. That's what, that's what we do whenever we need to, you know, put some more mulch down or, you know, weed out stuff. We'll just show some of those cardboards in our garden. That's awesome. And we always have a ton of it, all of us. I know. So just cut it up and put it in there. They usually have those little half smiley face things on them. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) The the company that shall not be named on this podcast. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But it's, I live in Seattle, so it's everywhere. Yes. Everywhere. They are everywhere for sure. All over the country. All over the world. As long as we're finding better ways to do it and we're all learning to shop a little bit smarter, you know, there we are on the right path. Number one, we're sharing this information. I mean, 10 years ago, we wouldn't have even talked about this. Yeah. So today we're talking about it and we're sharing the information, which, which again is super cool. It is super cool. It might just be what saves everything, but then again, saves us. The world's going to be fine. That's right. Right. Yeah. It's going to be the planet, fine. save your own ass. Yeah. <laughs> I love the title. You should do it. <laughs> well, we are just about at time. I really, really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for your time and all the insight. Uh, Of course, we'll link all of your information in the show notes so everybody can go and shop. You know, look, people are always looking to start out the new year with some new changes, you know, positive changes in their life and going plastic free and waste free and chemical free in your life is much easier than going to the gym. So go to wastefreeproducts.com instead. I don't go to the gym. I'm just naturally like this. Well, imposters, you've made it once again to the end of another episode. We all want to live more fruitful lives. Well, most of us, if we're not serial killers, but they're fruitful. Just has a different definition, maybe. But it's just, we all want to live better lives. We all want to live cleaner. We want to help things thrive. We want to live in a beautiful environment. And living a plastic-free as plastic-free and as waste-free life as possible is just another way to do that. So like we said, I'll have all of her information in the show notes. I'm actually going to order some hand soap (laughs) immediately after this recording because I am now out. I do have one bar soap, but that's for the kitchen. So I need to have uh, bar soap in the bathroom as well, or a soap that turns to liquid, a bar to a liquid, which is just so cool. And Angie did it. Thank you again so much for listening. Remember, remember all of the things that you learned in this episode. Have your BAIL ready. That's B-A-I-L acronym. When you want to start a business, have it all lined up. When you're laying that out, Do not forget all of the quote-unquote hidden costs that come with it, like she talked about. So everything that you're going to need for the manufacturing part, all of the money that you might need for the packaging part and all of that. So don't sell yourself short. And of course, an accountant will help you with that. This episode is running a little bit long, so I'm going to cut this outro a little bit short because there's just so many good nuggets in there with Angie that I really wanted you to be a part of. But of course, I will not leave you empty-handed. Here is the trivia. So all of this plastic talk, I feel like it comes up in just about every episode. And I'm like, okay, so when did this amazing (laughs) slash really destructive substance come into our lives and plastic believe it or not did not have nefarious origins it was just meant to be another useful product and it was invented in 1907 by a belgian chemist and clever marketer leo bakeland 
Spikeland. Not sure how to say that. So he pioneered the first fully synthetic plastic in 1907. So it's not been around for that long, which is insane to think about because it's having one hell of a devastating effect on our environment and basically everything that lives in it. So we all have a little bit of plastic in our bodies. We can't escape it. It's just how it is, you know? So where can you find me? My name is Courtney Heater again, and I am at You're Not Qualified Podcast dot com on tiktok at ynqpod on instagram at ynqpod and i also can be reached by gmail if email is your preferred way of communication you grandma and that is ynqpod at gmail.com and especially if you or you know of anybody that would be a great fit for this podcast please send them my way i'd love to chat their ear off and share our long ass conversation with you guys but full of all of this amazing information that you'll take forward into your life and share all with all your friends of course (laughs) okay well uh good day thank you so much for listening and i will talk to you next time Bye.